What did you think of those two pieces of news I sent you? I would like to see a four-hour cut of the man who shot Jesse James. Probably will watch What's His Nuts new movie, but I definitely I don't think I'll like it. And I think it might be my last one of his that I actually do watch, finally. No, no. Might finally, might finally no. wise up. Because we're, no, we're going to do an Ari Aster Mount Rushmore one day. Mm. He'll do seven. He has to. Mm. It's the only way. I am not entirely sure he'll do seven. I think he'll finally move out of the horror genre and people will be like, this is terrible. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. His movies, they're really poorly written. You're so mad. He's, I'm not mad. I'm just saying he's like one of the worst film writers currently going. Maybe he'll wise up and form. He can just direct. He's also not a very good director. That's the big secret. The scripts are okay. Yeah, we're gonna. He's also very bad at directing. Sorry, Aster Mount Rushmore. No. (laughs) No, he won't. Sometimes this is only movie three. (laughs) I mean, even then, by then, I just like won't do it. I just will refuse. Like you gotta bring him down. Huh? Yeah, you gotta bring in someone else because I am not talking about his movies. I just I find another Tyler. I will pay you a thousand dollars to watch all of these movies, and then talk with me about them. He goes, "What's what's the gag?" I'm like, "There's another guy named Tyler, but he refuses to do it because he doesn't like Ari Aster." Look, that's like episode three hundred. Um, I'm very excited for his uh, next movie for me to be like, uh, it's a it's a two out of it's a two and a half out of out of five. Because the thing is, I don't think I've given. I'm like, I'm not like panning his movies. I'm not like, oh, they're so terrible. I'm just like, no, they're like not very good. <laughs> they're like a two out of five. I find them boring. No, you are wrong. I like those movies. What are you talking about? I saw Hereditary four times. I don't think I'm wrong. When the final reel is spun And the credits have been run You can count on the wisdom Of these two white guys talking film Just two white guys talking film. To TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the black and white streets of New Mexico to the black and white streets of any town USA where a man just tries to do right, but just gets screwed over, whether it's through. You know, it's been a long week, and these movies were, were both very troubling to me. This is two white guys talking film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. What a pair of movies these were. You paired two vastly different movies with one another. Yeah, but they both really worked. Not together, but they worked. I'm excited to talk about both these movies. Got a lot to say. Got a lot of boring information for people. I disagree. Your your so-called boring information, I listened to it this week while editing the last week. All the boring, mundane stuff you said that you said was captured. I saw this week. What's the most captivating thing you saw this week? Well, I mean, I haven't said it yet, but we got to get oh, to that oh. second. Oh, yeah. okay. 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 So should I go first or do you want to go first? 
I have something interesting. Maybe I should go first because it is a little off the beaten path. Let's let's Maybe. go off the beaten path. Come with a heavy hitter. Why does so. your section of the store for picks always just have gravel everywhere? That's my question. I, you know, I, I like to walk. I like to be nature. barefoot in the store. You know that. That's your prerogative. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're being a real old joy right now. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to start trying to make that a thing in this podcast. You're being a real old joy. Being a real old joy? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't think I like that. Well, well, get used to it, Buttercup. It's going to be a thing. I'm going to put it on T-shirts. All right. So the movie I watched is currently streaming on Arrow Player video channel. It kind of uses the same engine that Criterion uses. So it's kind of the same layout. It's very interesting. Currently, they're doing like a month for free. And once you subscribe to it, it's basically five bucks a month for a lot of really cool and interesting exploitation and horror cinema and Japanese cinema and all sorts of stuff that Arrow has put out throughout the last couple of years. If you don't know who Arrow is, they sort of started as a British imprint that released Blu-ray DVDs. They're sort of seen as like, in America at least, as kind of a B-movie or horror movie version of Criterion, where they put out a lot of interesting giallo films and interesting 70s horror films and you know but they've recently started putting out more and more uh classic movie fare across the years they originally just started out in england putting out movies that criterion had put out but in england because they wouldn't ship to england and or they wouldn't play in region b Blu-rays, it's weird web, but once Criterion started making all-region DVDs, they sort of switched what they put out. And essentially, they're one of the bigger imprints in the world currently, and they've got their own streaming service now, which is what I'm talking about. And they teamed up with another one of my favorite imprints. It's a lot of talking. AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive, which has been putting out a lot of really weird and interesting stuff over the couple of years. And one of the movies that they put out is a movie called Mary Jane's Not a Virgin Anymore. It's a movie that was filmed in 1995 by Sarah Jacobson, came out in 1996, takes place in Minneapolis where it was shot, shot on Super 8 film, which is not a typical format you see. And it is a movie that I think had it hit in 1996, had it been more than just a festival darling, probably would have changed filmmaking in many ways because it is just... A beautiful, wonderful little indie film, and it's the only film the director ever made in her lifetime. And it's, I think, just so marvelous that a movie like this, like so often throughout the years, would have been left to the dustbins of history, you know, would have collected, you know, vinegar syndrome and, you know, been totally forgotten, is pretty widely available. And I think that that is kind of wonderful. And yeah, Mary Jane's not a virgin anymore is about a high schooler from suburbia who works in a dingy movie theater in the city. And over the course of the movie's timeline, which I think is about a year, she kind of comes in terms of like her sexuality and death and just kind of growing up. It's kind of in the vein of like Ghost World and stuff like that, but it's really punk and DIY and super indie. And Jella Biafra is in it as he has one scene where he... Is like a weird local right wing fanatic. It's fantastic, and I think if you you know have five dollars a month and you want to check out Arrow, 
you want to check out all the really cool shit they have on there, I think you should also check out Mary Jane's on a Virgin anymore. It's 90 minutes and is a lost American classic, in my opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just walk over here with him real quick. What's, what's this crap you're pulling? You talking nonsense about Criterion Collection? I'm not talking, what, what you I'm not talking nonsense about Criterion. You're saying, saying Criterion. that you found a cooler, hipper version. I see what you're doing here, trying to trying to stay up with <laughs> what the kids are into. Just because old man Ben doesn't know about what the hell is this thing called that you're gonna era video that, that once I take this out you're gonna give me the password to so, <laughs> so I can find out what this is that movie sounds amazing it's fucking great oh. it's it's so good oh um, P.S. Mark is watching Blood Simple for the first time we're gonna go through the Coen Brother movies Blood Simple's real good he's he's enjoying it he think, yeah. he's enjoy he's enjoying the gallows humor that's woven through um, oh well, that sounds interesting dude. Yeah, it's super interesting. Sarah Jacobson, American Genre Film Archive, put out both of her films. Mary Jane's not a virgin anymore, and she also made a short film called I Was a Teenage Serial Killer. I think they're kind of important landmarks in independent and DIY filmmaking. She is known for being a very influential music video filmmaker. Hmm. And was friends with a bunch of the filmmakers. This movie, Mary Jane's Not a Virgin Anymore, played at Sundance back in 96. And made a small splash, but because it was shot on Super 8, which is a non-standard film. It's a very cheap film, but it's very hard to blow up into a 16mm, which would be needed to run at most theater houses back then at that time. It Hmm. was really hard to uh, secure distribution because... You would need special film equipment to run Super 8 film. And yeah, so it's like I said, it's a lost American classic. I think it's maybe one of the best movies I've watched this year. I still think about it. And I think it's a movie that hopefully for my birthday, I will get someone to buy me the the Blu-ray for because it is absolutely marvelous. I love it a lot. Mary Jane's not a virgin anymore. Great movie. Interesting. Mary Jane's not a virgin. Amazon clip. <laughs> Send to Ben first so he can watch it and then apologize profusely. Click. But yeah, actually, guys, listen to him. If he says go see this, go see it. Because I actually watched another movie on his recommendation this weekend or this week. And he is absolutely correct. So he has to be absolutely correct about Mary Jane is not a virgin anymore. And the movie I watched this week was... It's weird. We came back to the two people we started with, and then we also kind of still stayed with the person we did last week, because I watched The Big Combo. Ooh. Big Combo rules. <laughs> big Combo big combo just kind of starts and then never stops. Big Combo has two of, like, the, like, like two shots in that movie I, I just always think about. I just, I just come back, and I'm like, oh, man, that's that's wild that he was oh, able yeah, to get away with that. One? spoilers it's when they shoot up the the women's apartment and you just see the guns firing mm-hmm. like the door like they kick down the door and you just see the guns and it's like a really just powerful like punch you in the nose type moment and the other one is when they they whack the deaf guy and they take out his earpiece that's pretty yeah that's and pretty it's just silence it's so it's it's haunting wrote is a gangster by the name of brown is one step ahead of top cop lieutenant diamond simple premise played out over a tense 87 minutes has you hooked for all of it excellent acting with the first rate direction of lewis makes it one of the most underrated noirs i've ever seen it's just so funny how like 
the whole it's you know i'll tell you this too like spoiler alert on what it's going to pair with in the second half of our show <laughs> it's like kind of the same movie like we'll get yeah, into yeah. it yeah uh, did this come uh, out before or after it might have come out after because that's a big thing that b movies like to do is take like an a movie like the big heat or like a a adjacent movie like the big heat and be like i'm just gonna kind of kind of fudge some things move some names around and bada bing bada boom we got a movie I think the big combo is a little bit it's kind of crazy to say this because the big heat is really scuzzy but I think the big combo is a little bit scuzzier than than the big heat yeah it it, there well no no there's a there's a moment in the big heat tonight that uh that's that's true yeah the combo came out two years after the big heat came out two years after gotcha the big combo is a lot cheaper though I will say that oh yeah there's a couple more locations where you're just like, oh, noticeably, that's like a, that's like the same location, but they move some stuff around. Yeah, it had a five hundred thousand dollar budget, which is nothing to, to to shrug at back then. Oh, absolutely not. The big heat had a much bigger box office. Though. Well, guess that means we gotta get to the noir sections, and I guess these are mine, so I'll introduce them. And the first one is a little movie from 1951, and it brings us back to the guy who did Double Indemnity, Mr. Billy Wilder. It's his follow-up to Sunset Boulevard, and it is a nasty little look at journalism in America. Kirk Douglas astounds as a sleazy reporter who stumbles on the story that is too good to be true. Along with great writing and incredible cinematography, it ranks among one of Wilder's best to be sure. This is, of course, the 1951 film starring Kirk Douglas, Ace in the Hole. Well, Mr. Boot, I was passing through Albuquerque. Had breakfast here. Read your paper. Thought you might be interested in my reaction. You bet I am. Well, sir, it made me throw up. I don't want you to think I expected the New York Times. But even for Albuquerque, this is pretty Albuquerque. All right. Here's your nickel back. Now, what's all this about my making $200 a week? Apparently, you're not familiar with my name. Can't say that I am. That's because you don't get the Eastern papers out here. I thought maybe once in a while somebody would toss one out of the super cheap and you might have seen my byline. Charles Tatum? Work in New York, Chicago, Detroit. What about the 200? I was coming to that. Mr. Boot, I'm a $250 a week newspaper man. I can be had for 50. Why are you so good to me? I know newspapers backward, forward, and sideways. I can write them, edit them, print them, wrap them, and sell them. Don't need anybody right now. I can handle big news and little news. And if there's no news, I'll go out and bite a dog. Make it 45. What makes you so cheap? Fair question, considering I've been top man wherever I've worked. You'll be glad to know that I've been fired from 11 papers with a total circulation of 7 million, for reasons with which I don't want to bore you. Go ahead, bore me. I'm a pretty good liar. I've done a lot of lying in my time. I've lied to men who wear belts. I've lied to men who wear suspenders. But I'd never be so stupid as to lie to a man who wears both belt and suspenders. Uh, How's that again? You strike me as a cautious man, a man who checks and double checks. So I'll tell you why I was fired. In New York, a story of mine brought on a libel suit. In Chicago, I started something with a publisher's wife. In Detroit, I was caught drinking out of season. In Cleveland, I got the picture. Now then, I find myself in Albuquerque with no money. A burnt out bearing, bad tires, and a lousy reputation. Bad tires can be dangerous. I have only one chance to get back where I belong. 
To land a job on a small-town paper like yours and wait and hope and pray for something big to break. Man, what a picture. Oh, just so I can get this joke out of the way now. I'll put my ace in your... I don't know. I don't know what that joke does. Okay, all right. I did enjoy it when he said Ace in the Hole. I got to do the, hey, that's the name of the movie. Hey, way. That's <laughs> my favorite thing is when someone says the name of the movie. Even if it's like kind of like a clunky name. I'm, like, I'm always like, well, that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> do you think they know? Do they think they know? Dude, this is really fucking well done. It's so good, right? Yeah, I, it's, it's, so good. it's not my favorite of his but it's certainly like I'm, I mean, I feel bad because you picked this too. It fucking just kicked double indemnity right in the face and walked past. And it's like, no, I'm at least number three, if not number two. Like it's side eyeing some like it hot right now. It's maybe my favorite that I've seen. I remember watching it just like, oh, like you know, <laughs> when you're young and getting into movies and you're just like, I guess this this is on, so I'll watch this. And it was just like something that I like I just turned on for the sake of having a movie to watch, not really knowing what it was about, and just mm-hmm. it just bowled me over. I was immediately hooked. And yeah, I would say it was this movie and another movie, I don't know if we'll ever talk about it. The sweet smell of success. Oh, Both movies okay. are just movies where I was just like, I'll just turn this on. You know, it's an old, it's an old noir. I'm sure I'll, I'll get something out of it. Both, I'm just like, I have to watch the whole thing. <laughs> like I, I just have to. I can't so stop. Good. But yeah, this is while they're off the heat of Sunset Boulevard, which is a, which is a smash hit. And I think I'm not entirely sure, but I think this is one of the first times Kurt Douglas plays like a bad guy. He is so unlikable. I feel like Kurt Douglas and his son, the the I forget the son. It's Michelle Douglas. Michelle Douglas. Yes. Um, thank you. Um, I feel like they are opposites when it comes to cinematic portrayals. I feel like I've only ever seen Kurt Douglas be like the square jawed stand up for America, and Michael Douglas is the fucking asshole. Well, now to be fair, the American like... president, he is an absolute sweetheart in the American president. There's been a couple of yeah. You know, Couple but you're right, Michelle's you're right, you're right. Kirk Douglas played the face most of his life and the heel like once or twice. And Douglas has always played the heel. Michael's only played the face very rarely. I mean, Kirk Douglas is Spartacus, for Christ's sake. I think this movie, I mean, for whatever you want to talk reason, about a face. You want to talk about a face in that sense. He got Stanley Kubrick to do it his way. That If that's yeah. not a face, I don't know who is. Yeah, he challenges his son's cinematic legacy in this movie as, like, one of the worst villains of all time. Because, like, he is such a dick. Like, from the moment oh, you see him, it's like, oh, he is an asshole. Oh, when he pulls up riding in the back of the car being towed, you're just like, oh, this guy sucks. Like, I know what this guy is. <laughs> when you this guy... suck, friend. Get out of here. When this guy's like, pull up over here. Like... I hope someone punches you right in the face. He's like, this guy's a dick. You know, like, this guy's the worst. And then he kind of gets you on his side for a little bit, oh, only he... to immediately lose it. Do you uh... get why people have him around? Because there's one scene, and it is my favorite scene. I'll just say it up at the top. But the scene where he's in the office and he's just like, why don't you go and shoot someone? <laughs> why don't you go kill your wife? Like, Maybe if you were to set a match and a fire out there, you're just like, like I will say the scene, if we can find it, uh, or if you can cut it and send it to me, that we are going to be using is where he talks to the newspaper guy. Because damn, if that is not some fun writing. Also, to be prepared tonight, I wore both a belt and suspenders. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, just like I love that scene where he kind of like loses it for a little bit, and he's just like, it was supposed. This was supposed to be like thirty days, sixty days max, and it's been a year. <laughs> I just like there's something about that where I'm just like his. His performance in this as like a guy who's like above Albuquerque, which by the way, even at that time, even in the fifties, Albuquerque wasn't some like fucking podunk town. No, it but wasn't. They, he makes it look like he makes it sound like a podunk town. And, and the way so, he sells himself, he's such a bastard. He's such a bastard. He really is channeling his son his son's performances, just like in the past. <laughs> like it's just like He's like foreshadowing. You know, it. you know, not just that though. Not just that though. Someone else is gonna pull something from this movie later on when we talk about what we're gonna yeah. pair it with. Yeah. So let's get to it. Kirk Douglas is the main character, and he's a down and out newspaper guy who is stuck in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and is trying to get out, and he just can't. And yet he comes across a story at some point that can actually get him out of New Mexico. And that story is a man stuck in a cave. It's his ace in the hole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a that I love when a title has like two meanings like that. You're just like fucking a You're just someone, like ah. someone someone wrote this. Uh, someone wrote this at one of their best moments. They're like, even if the movie sucks, the title the title works two ways. I feel like Billy Wilder came up with a came up with the name and like leaned back in his chair and like put his hands above his head and was just like, ah. Actually, you're you're correct. Actually, you're correct on that. The other thing he then did was he then got to uh, leaned, stopped leaning back, went over to his phone, called up Raymond Chandler and just berated him for another 40 <laughs> minutes, apparently. <laughs> hey, Chandler, guess what I just wrote? It's called Ace in the Hole, you sack of shit. That's right. It's better than anything you're going to do. Just hangs up the phone on him. Raymond Chandler's like, how does he keep getting the number? I changed it again. Raymond Chandler's like, what are you talking about? I just wrote the long goodbye. <laughs> Suck it. It's not as good. Click. Well, the long goodbye will be made into many movies. <laughs> Some of them will star Elliot Gould. Who's that? No one really knows, even up to this day. I love Elliot. I love, I love that version of the long goodbye. Still one of the funniest things my father's ever told me is when he came into a room and Elliot Gould was there for the film festival and he goes, oh, Bill, thank God, uh, someone I know, I can finally talk to you. And he goes, you're Elliot Gould. <laughs> he goes, everyone knows who you are. Yeah, that's just such an Elliot Gould thing to say, honestly. Just, oh, finally, some guy, somebody I know, and he's like known him for like a, a day, maybe. Yeah, it's so <laughs> true, but he's like, oh, Bill, it's like, and I was like, you're Elliot Gould, go talk to people, I want to talk to you. If I met Elliot Gould, I you'd lose I, your mind. I think I would lose my mind, and also he'd be annoyed because I'd be like, "So getting straight, I just let's just talk about." <laughs> no, he wouldn't. I think he'd be way into it. He'd be like, "Why do you know what getting straight is?" It's it's just I've, it's a movie I thought about a lot since I've seen it. <laughs> I'm not Elliot Gould. You can't talk back to me like I'm Elliot Gould. Oh, <laughs> uh, so there's a guy stuck in a cave. Poor bastard. All Kirk Douglas needs is seven days to stoke this story into a frenzy. So the guy who gets stuck in a cave, his name is Leo Minosa, and he gets stuck in the cave gathering ancient Indian artifacts. That's all I need to know. The first day, essentially, Kirk Douglas, whose name is Chuck Tatum, great names in this movie, by the way. He writes a little thing about it. Manga stuck in a cave. Indian curse, question mark, essentially. And 
that leads people from the near like surrounding towns who are on vacation to come and check out the cave and what starts is like a couple of people will eventually become like a legitimate carnival like a circus the movie's secondary title it's was known in some regions as the big carnival which is a terrible name <laughs> tells you nothing of what the fucking movie's about i kind of understand it because it is kind of i would more so to go with like the big circus because that's kind of what it is more than a carnival it's oh not, it's it was a it's a madhouse when it's going on like yeah. he manages to take a place that no one's ever heard of and just like conduct it into this like insanity thing and it's like and he's the fucking hero of the whole mm-hmm. thing like everyone looks to him he can literally walk through all these people and it's not because he's smarter it's because he just has the ability to convince them that his bullshit is brilliance. Yeah. You have Leo, you have Chuck, you have Chuck's little underling. This is little right-hand man. I forget his name. The, the, the newspaper boy. Oh, Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. You have Jimmy Olsen. We're just going to call him Jimmy Olsen. Just call him Jimmy let's Olsen. be honest, he's Jimmy Olsen. If Kirk Douglas were evil Superman. Is it Herbie Cook? Yeah, it is Robert Arthur. It is Robert Arthur, who isn't a young boy when this movie was shot, but is playing a young boy, essentially. He's playing like a fresh out of college, straight-laced guy who kind of gets corrupted by Chuck Tatum and kind of falls Caddy's around. in this movie. He's great. Uh, who is? Oh, Frank Caddy? Yeah, he plays the he plays a tourist. He has another one of my favorite scenes, which is he's like getting interviewed and he's like talking about how how sincerely he misses him. And then he starts talking about how he's a life insurance salesman. And then if, oh, if Leo had this life insurance policy that they're currently selling at this specific life insurance place in this specific part of town, <laughs> it's such a funny moment. And the reporter like cuts him off. He's like, oh, I'm getting worried. For this. He just, yeah, like, just was like, no, 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 you're not, you're not, you're you not hawking, you're not hawking your nonsense here. You're not plugging anything on my watch. Mr. Garrison told me that I wasn't allowed to let other people tell their stories here. You you just tell them about that. Yeah, no, they cut him off really at the knees. They cut him quick. I mean, and that's kind of the whole premise of the movie is like this guy's stuck in the cave and he needs to keep this going to keep fanning the flames to eventually get a sweet enough offer to get out of this place. And there's one person that we are missing. She is very important. And that is the as Leo's wife, Lorianne, uh, who's Jan Sterling, who comes from a big city, comes from Baltimore. And is now having to live out in sticks and hates it. But Chuck Tatum convinces her to stay around and be the grieving wife of Leo because it makes his story convinces, better. grabs her. Yeah, you, you pick your own adjectives, Tyler. He convinces her at the beginning, at the onset. There's, there's and a lot then, of grabbing going on later. A lot of... By the end of it, it's much more forceful. It's less of a convincing and more of a you're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, I gotta say, I learned something from you the first time we do a podcast. I learned something when I edit it from you. What you said about the woman from Gun Crazy having elongated features. <laughs> this is 100% the same thing with her. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, this is 100% the exact same thing with her. Now, to be fair... In a movie coming up after this, we are going to get an example of the other thing in noir movies that women have in terms of features. But this woman has the same thing. She's got something that's just not perfect supermodel beauty that causes you to be, like, distrustful. Yeah, but the movie starts with her being 
kind of unsympathetic. And oh no then, no no! That's my point. Like, yeah, the movie paints her as sympath- unsympathetic from the start, but like in Gun yeah. Crazy, it's the same thing. Like, you know, immediately in Gun Crazy, it's like, <laughs> oh, she is turned on sexually by the fact that he can hit six out of six and she can only hit five out of six. But that he's as good of, of a gun shooter as she is. Whereas in this, her thing that she's sexually attracted to is like, oh, this guy can make me some money in the short term. I don't even know if it's also. I kind of want to fuck Kirk Douglas in his weird barrel chest body. He's got he's got old fifty man, old fifties strong body, which is a guy who's taking a sledgehammer to a tire all day. Like that's like <laughs> what much. it looks like, like like old wrestler physique. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not entirely sure if at the beginning, I think she stays solely because it's like. Well, eleven dollars is not going to be a whole lot to live on. Yeah, he uh, gives her a good bitch, and so it's more of a like I think he's right, and that's it's kind of an unsympathetic thing. But by the end of the movie, you're like Jesus Christ, get run away, get as far away from this town as humanly possible. She does. She's the only character in this whole movie that gets a happy ending, and it's not even a happy ending. Yeah, it's 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 mildly um, happy. It's like when you play a video game the first time and it wants you to play it a second time, so it gives you like a mild good ending. And it's <laughs> like if you want the true good ending, you gotta beat the game again. And you're like, no. <laughs> the no, movie gives you, you like no, that. fuck you. Like not doing that. The movie gives you like a like a neutral good. And yeah, I think hers is probably the saddest arc because even when she's even though she stays to make money, the work she has to do to make money is insane and looks incredibly tiring. And also, is she making a whole lot of money? How much is Chuck making? You know, Chuck's making most of the money. He's the one that is charging people to get into the fucking grounds. (laughs) Like everybody pays. Everybody pays, even the press. If it had been me in that car when that kid told me every piece, if I was Jimmy Olsen, I would have said, boy, I will beat you senseless and think nothing of it. I am moving past because I am the guy who is next to the guy who's calling the shots here. I will wipe the floor with you, white boy. Did you notice the subtle thing about about that sign? <laughs> what was that? It starts with free, by the way, and that's I think that's very funny. And then it goes to oh, 25 cents. Oh, it gets more and more, yeah. And then by the end of the movie, it's a dollar. It's a good running gag. It's so good. Gotta get myself some of this sweet fat money cake. <laughs> a dollar in 1951, by the way, it was like five dollars now, probably or like ten. It's basically worth ten dollars. So they went from charging like charging like a buck to ten bucks. Okay, fair enough. No, right. yeah, that's wild. So, what is your favorite scene in this movie? So my favorite scene is, as I said, the scene where he is trying to sell everyone in the office on committing some sort of horrible crime. <laughs> You're a real um, dark passenger there, Tyler. It's just a great little acting scene for Kurt Douglas. Where he's just like walking around and just being like, you should do this. Like, you should do that. Like, I think it's just such a good moment. And then you have the editor walking in being like you're gonna do this thing and you're drunk and then he like takes a look at it and he's not drunk he's actually sober and then he's like you're gonna do this you're gonna go out and do this like rattlesnake thing no one's answering yeah i just think it's stoked about that he's not stoked about it but i just think it's a really great character moment i think the whole first like 20 minutes of the movie is just 
so tight and just so well laid out exactly oh, who everybody is. The setup for it is perfect. This is where you're going. This is what you're going to do. And like, this is what's going to happen. Like, and of course, you know, something's going to waylay it. Or maybe you don't even know know that, but like you know something's coming, like something's got to happen, like as he gets in that car. Yeah, you you're like, well, this movie's probably not going to be about a rattlesnake thing, but you just kind of know like what's what's going to happen. Like you kind of you already feel like, oh, this guy's going to make a name for himself doing something. And you can kind of feel it. But then once, I feel like the movie. I mean, it is broken up into three acts, but I feel like the movie really is broken up into two halves almost. Like before the carnival and then after the carnival, it like hits that hour mark where like the carnival stuff starts happening, and then like boom, the movie's on like this down downward slope, and it's just it's just it picks up steam and it never never stops. I think. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, and it's like, and God, the ending of it is just is nuts. Like, it's, it's yeah. Did this got nothing? Did it for like awards? It was so. It was the first Billy Wilder movie that came out and was less successful than like made less at the box office than its oh, budget. This is um, like his Vertigo, isn't it? Essentially, yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. It's a it's a movie that I think now because it has a Criterion edition and like Spike Lee has talked about it as like one of his favorite movies. And, really. Yeah. On the Criterion edition, there's an interview with Spike Lee. And oh, Spike Lee talks about, I think, talking about Billy Wilder. He talks about meeting Billy Wilder and talking about uh, Ace in the Hole and says, like, it's his favorite Billy Wilder movies. And I think you can kind of see it in the way, because we've kind of danced around it, but this movie really takes to task American, pretty <laughs> strongly, I believe, in like American institution of the press. And how the oh. press can be used for sensationalist ends. And the movie, I think, in 1951, critically, didn't do well because of that. I, I read some of the reviews, and a lot of people were just like, it's kind of fantasiful to think that someone who in the news media would be able to use an event like this to make themselves the star. And I'm just like, you're, you definitely would hate to see the future. <laughs> yeah. If this is someone mildly razzing you wait till 2020 when the person's just pulling their dick out and slapping your wife in the face with it. And you have to say, thank you. This is not the darkest <laughs> timeline. People who thought this was. I genuinely think if this movie was made today, the ending would be slightly different. Um, I think they would keep pretty much the same thing, but the only difference is that in the end, instead of what happens, Kurt Douglas just goes to another town and starts it again. Like Ooh, A very nihilistic I, ending. I think that's what the ending would be. That's probably what the ending would have been in the 70s. Like I think even by the 70s, people started to realize, like, oh... <laughs> Ace in the hole is pretty got pretty good, but yeah, at the time it was you know people like Bosley Crowder said it was a great film. Said it has some minor things about it. There are other people who just were like it's too cold and like lurid and like yeah, people well, just like thought it was just like too. It's really mean and misanthropic. So I think well, at the is. time people were just kind of put off by that because it is 1951. You know, it is that post-war booming era. And I don't think people were ready to be like, here's some of the bad things about America, which Ace in the Hole illustrates wonderfully. Well, and here's the other thing, too. Unlike his other movies, it's not fanciful in a way. It's almost a little more real. Sunset Boulevard, you're like, oh, that's Hollywood stuff. That's not happening where I am. Like, 
some like it hot it's like that's a that's a farcical comedy the last weekend which does very much feel like a issues driven picture exactly it is a little bit more melancholy and a little bit more melodramatic no i completely agree with you on that that movie's a melodrama fight me no you're not wrong and double indemnity like even then you're just like you're like yeah it's but it never stops whereas this like this doesn't even have stretches where it stops but like there's moments where you're like he ratchets up tension in this in such a weird way Mm because like the character of Kirk Douglas, you're never quite sure when he's going to kind of go off. Mm-hmm. Boy, does he? Yeah, he does. Don't, don't be a blonde female near him. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I would. Weirdly though. And mm-hmm. you're, you're going to have to try to Hulk Hogan sell this the best you can. So don't sell it. He's not the worst offender tonight. Uh, he's the silver medalist winner of uh, being dangerous to be around if you're a blonde. I didn't think that was possible <laughs> after Eighth in the Hole, but then all of a sudden, the next movie started. There's a man for a period of time in the 50s, a man we have talked about, who was oh, a hero in the movie that we've talked about. He does it in that in the, movie, too. In, in the 50s, was a very dangerous person to be around in movies because he was almost always the bad guy. Especially if you were a blonde. Especially if you were a blonde. Yeah. But we'll get to him in a minute. Wilder just did Sunset Boulevard. That's the other thing, too. I think people built up expectation after Sunset Boulevard. A little bit. Because Sunset Boulevard, I mean, it is remembered as, like... If there is a great American noir film, I'm sure Sunset Boulevard is in the conversation for top ten, probably. That was a big deal at at the time when it came out. It was considered... You know, it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and ended up winning, like, three of them. It's currently considered one of the greatest movies ever made, you know, at the American Film Institute. But even at the time, it was like, this is this is one of the best of the year, like, by far. He made and it a year after. That's crazy. The next year he makes Ace in the Hole, and people are like, eh. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you. I love Sunset Boulevard. I saw it in theaters a long time ago. I think it's a great movie. It's probably better than Double Indemnity, even though I, I, I think because Double Indemnity was the first Billy Wilder noir I saw, and because it's very similar to Sunset Boulevard, I, you know, kind of have them as like 1A, 1B in my ranking. For whatever reason, this movie, I just think, because it has so much more to say about America, not about Hollywood, but about like the American problem and about like capitalism and sensationalism and media. And I just think that because this movie has so much more to say, Billy Wilder being German and not being American can kind of see things that we as Americans are like callous to and kind of, you know, put, you know, memory hole in certain aspects. And I think it just comes off as this like incredibly searing film that I don't think left a huge imprint on me. And I don't think that imprint's ever going away. And rewatching it, it just, you know, it just reminded me like, yeah, this movie's great. Sometimes you got to bring someone down to also raise them back up again. We shouldn't feel too bad for Billy Wilder. That man has six fucking Oscars to his name. Oh, yeah. And he got nominated for the writing in this, for Christ's sake. So he's doing just fine. Yeah. It's the only nomination the movie gets is 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 kind of a like, well, we like Billy Wilder. He has two Best so. Director wins. Yeah. He, he, he won Best Picture for Lost Weekend. No, he won Best uh, Picture for The Apartment. He won Best Director and Best... Motherfucker, he won Best Picture for The Lost Weekend. I don't think that's 100% accurate. I just I don't think that's right. I think 
what you're saying is 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 crazy talk. Best director, best screenplay. I guess he did not produce the Lost Weekend. No, no, he didn't win the the best, but lost the Lost Weekend won Best Picture. Well, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I'm disagreeing that he was a recipient of one of the trophies for the oh, Best Picture win. But we're I, we're talking the same okay. thing. When yes, I'm talking about win, a producer and director and yes, actor, but he did win director won for, Best Picture. Yes, yes I claim all of them have won Best Picture. Yes, won best look, picture, look, film is a collaborative medium. Mm-mm. Doesn't sound like it right now. Sounds like someone's trying to fight me on the syntax. We're not the making way... a movie. We're making a podcast. Podcast is also a collaborative medium. But I, what I'm saying <laughs> is, if I was talking, you know, about... I'm gonna I'm gonna come back at you with the Royal Tenenbaums. Don't talk semantics. <laughs> if I'm talking about Marty, and I'm talking about the per- like, if I'm talking about Patty Chayefsky, I'm like, oh yeah, he wrote a movie that won Best Picture, oh, I and like, I can also shorten that to he won you... Best Picture. Yeah, because technically it's true. Yes, I yes, we're we're talking we we meant the same thing, we just meant it in different ways. Two time best picture, two time best director winner. It saddens me even more to see Kirk Douglas the way he is now. Dead? Oh yeah, he is dead, isn't he? Motherfucker <laughs> held on forever. He did, he died this year. He was 103. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Holy God. Can you imagine being 103? What did Sunset Boulevard lose Best Picture to? Probably something bad. Well, all about Eve. That's that's a solid win. Joseph L. Mankiewicz or Mank. Let's hope Mank is as good as we all want it to be. Because then a year from now, we can be buying David Fincher's Mank in the Criterion Collection. I think we'll be buying him in the Criterion Collection regardless. Sadly. And, you know, let's talk about the ending. The ending yeah. is... The ending is pretty wild. Let's talk a little bit more about the plot. Chuck Tatum convinces the guy who's drilling, the guy who says, oh, yeah, all we have to do is brace the walls. Bada bing, bada bomb, we'll have them out in 12-hour period. Chuck's like, well, why don't you go from the top with a drill? Because it'll give him more time. You give him seven days. It's like seven days is the perfect amount of time for him to really ramp this up. And what ends up happening is... Leo kind of goes stir crazy because the drill is making a whole lot of noise and he deteriorates a little bit quicker than Chuck Tatum thought would happen. And in that seven day period, he sadly passes away from pneumonia. God, um, yeah. And it's all his fault. And it's all his fault. And Chuck Tatum, instead of taking it, walking to his thing alone and reporting that he's dead, he does the honorable thing. That's the thing I think is what galaxy brain in this movie does it does an honorable thing announces that he that leo has passed away and all of the other newspapers by the way chuck tatum has quit the albuquerque sun bulletin and has since moved on to a new york paper all of the other papers start writing about it talk about how leo died he's the last one to have the story he gets fired he gets stabbed <laughs> and then moraine gets on a bus and gets out of town and chuck drives back to the Albuquerque Sun Bulletin. And he makes a dramatic entrance like he did the first time. And he looks at Mr. Booth and he says the same thing he says to him for the first time. Which is, how'd you like to make yourself $1,000 a day, Mr. Booth? A $1,000 a day uh, newspaper man. You can have me for nothing. And then he falls dead on the floor. Great last shot, two of him just right in front of the camera. Because of the Hayes Code, you have to have Chuck Tatum lose. He has to die. Like, obviously, just straight off the bat, he has to die. So... 
I feel like the movie was constructed with like, well, we have this entrance, like what's that ending going to be? Boom. We have the ending. Let's fill out the middle part. Cause it's just, it's such a perfect end cap. It's just, it's such a good little way to tie up. And you just walk out of the movie, just feeling satisfied. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so good. There's barely any real wrong parts about it. Douglas is amazing in this movie, dude. Like he knows what he wants to do. He's pitch perfect. To equate it to, because uh, we talked about how Kirk Douglas, it felt like kind of watching like this guy who's only ever been a good, like only been the hero. It kind of feels like watching Once Upon a Time in America for the first time introduces who the villain is. And you're just like, it's not who I think it's going to be. And then like it pans up and you see his eyes and you see his face and you're just like, oh, whoa, he's the bad guy. Whoa, are you talking Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes. Did okay. I say America? You did. I mean, they're I the bet. same. Once upon a time in the, the same. West. They're the same guy. They're the same guy. This is the same Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But Once Upon a Time in the West, Old West. Once Upon a Time in China. There. Now you don't once, feel alone. Once, once Upon a Time in China. When it pans up to. <laughs> it's a really old movie. You should go watch it. But once it pans up to who the villain is, and you're like, what? Yeah. Him? It's a pretty. It's a pretty great reveal. It's a, it's and great. they don't do it. And they don't do it that way in this movie. This movie, you kind of have to get used to the idea that he's the bad guy because you're like, well, that guy's gotta Douglas be the bad guy. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the movie failed when it came out. Is I just don't think people were ready for Kurt Douglas to be the bad guy. Oh, not you, Spartacus! Get him out of there. Goes on to be in Paths of Glory, which is like one of the only pure white meat baby faces performance I've ever seen in a movie where it's just like, oh yeah, I, I totally buy Kurt Douglas as just the mm-hmm. best dude. You know what I mean? He's a good guy. <laughs> just like honorable, upstanding, perfect, just caught in the wrong space. Um, uh, it's the only other person where I'm just like, I totally believe it from that guy. And so well, for him to be just shit heel. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess I have to ask you, what would you pair this with? The Sweet Smell of Success. Nice. Um, which is another movie by a foreigner, this time an Englishman, making an American noir that just eviscerates America. It's just so callous. And they also, both both movies with just insanely good dialogue. Their two favorite quotes of all time come from The Sweet Smell of Success, which is, you're like a cookie full of arsenic. And the other is the cat's in the bag. Yeah, the bag's in the river. Oh. Every time I think about those lines, I'm just like punching the air. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. And I said that this person would emulate stuff from this movie. And actually, the ending you pitched for what it would be modern days is actually kind of what this movie does. I think Nightcrawler would go amazing with this movie. Yeah, I, it's amazing that Nightcrawler was actually made in 1951 first. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I think Tony Gilroy or Dan Gilroy, or whichever Gilroy, Definitely owes some money to Ace in the Hole. You know who owes some money to Ace in the Hole? Who's that? The Simpsons, because they did a movie. They did a they did an episode parodying Ace in the Hole called Bart's Radio. Oh yeah, that is an Ace in the Hole, isn't it? Yeah, which is he gets a walkie-talkie, he throws it down a well, and he convinces people that there's a boy in the well. Radio Bart is what it's called. Radio Bart. That's right. Well. I guess that only leaves me to ask, what would you give? I mean, I think I know what you'd give this. Come on. What are we talking about? This gets five. Well, not for me. For me, it gets four and a half. It will, though. Oh, yeah. No, I think it has. I think it definitely has room to climb. (laughs) Like I said, it's eyeballing Some Like It Hot right now. For me, I think it goes Sunset Boulevard, Some Like It Hot, Ace in the Hole, and then Double Indemnity. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have yet to see The Lost Weekend. I've seen The Apartment. That's probably 
four, if not maybe five, depending on double the, indemnity. The apartment would be fighting to get on the list. I think the yeah. apartment's big thing is that it's still haze code era, so you have to have like a happier ending, and it just doesn't quite pull it off. Uh, the ending is okay. I it's, 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 it's not. I'm, yeah, I'm it's, it's fine. It's, yeah. just, it's not quite as good as it should be. No, you it's know? it's. You almost feel like somebody came to Wilder last day and they said, "You really should make the movie a happier ending." And he goes, "No." And they go, best picture would think that. And he goes, really? And he goes, yeah, back in this time, we pick them ahead of time. Like, your movie's on track. Like, like that's the kind of the way I see it. It's like, and he's like, yeah, you know what? It does feel like a little bit of a sellout. It's kind of a sellout thing, but it's fine. The apartment's great. Not taking that from anybody, but I think that ending's yeah. kind, of, kind of a cop-out a little bit. I agree. Well, the ending to Ace of the Hole is not a cop-out, though. No, not at all. <laughs> moves us on to our next picture and our next picture I guess I have to do in this voice after the suicide of a cop the rest of the department wants to turn their heads except for Sergeant Bannon one of the more hard-boiled noirs I've seen in recent memory amazing lighting mixed with stellar direction of two powerhouse performances by Ford and Marvin gives you a crime story that has legs and what legs they are this is, of course, the 1953 film starring Glenn Ford and Lee Marvin, directed by Fritz Lang, The Big Heat. Everybody winning? Oh, hello, Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you doing, Vince? Okay. Where have you been? The Gary Club. Late show. Give me out a while, huh, boys? How was the show? The usual routine. Not too bad. Well, why didn't you come straight home? The way you ran out, I didn't think you cared. What do you mean, ran out? It wasn't a stroll. The election's this close, I can't afford trouble with a crazy ex-cop. He's not so crazy. Got a hot flash for you. It hates your guts. How would you know? I was there, remember? I'm the girl you left at the bar. I phoned a retreat. Tierney said you offered to buy Banyan a drink. Tierney wouldn't know a gag unless it hit him right in the face. He said you followed Banyan outside. I went out looking for you. You made better time getting away than they make in the Olympics. That's a real pretty kisser. Isn't it? I thought maybe you and Banyan played footsie while my back was turned. You ought to trade Tierney in. Get yourself a more reliable stool pigeon. Maybe I got myself a better stoolie. How was the Gaiety Club? No! My arm, Vince! My arm! You like cops, do you? <gasps> Don't, Vince, please! Where'd you go with them? My arm! My arm! I asked you a question. Where? I only saw him on the street. On the street! I suggest we call it the night. I suggest you shut your mouth. Where'd you go with Banyan? Nowhere. Nowhere! Oh, the gaiety, the gaiety. Oh, you pig, you lying pig. I'll fix you in your pretty face. Then she scolded. She had it coming. Don't just stand there. Get it to a doctor. You'll have to make a police report. That's why we're sending you. Go on, get moving. I'll try. I'll 
Shut the door. Yes, Vince. Hmm? How do you know she didn't tell Banyan anything? Debbie isn't your problem anymore. She's ours. I feel like we should give a shout-out to cinematographer Charles Lang, who was the cinematographer on this movie. I mean, he he was a cinematographer on a ton of stuff. But he was also a cinematographer on Some Like It Hot, Gunfight at the OK Corral, and is just one of the guys who's kind of known for, like one of the big creators of the noir feel so to speak and yes shout out to him but before we get to all that good stuff i want to say this first of all when he picked up the coffee and threw it out i went oh that's why it's called the big heat okay cool like that's that's why it's called the big heat no nothing god i thought that joke was gangbusters You, I, I, am I'm, I'm, I'm glad you picked both of these movies because I, I don't know if you, if you realize this, but both movies were shot by Charles Lang. <laughs> I did, I did. This is why I did that intro into the, into the movie. Um, and that was my intro. Podcasting is a collaborative form. There, I turned it on you. <laughs> now I have to keep your little podcasting as a collaborative form snip. <laughs> collaborative medium. Um, whatever. Shut up is the answer to your question. Uh, whatever. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. I will fly up there tonight and wrestle you on the floor of your apartment. And I will think nothing of it. You know how many houses I could buy in the 50s? <laughs> Several. It's going to be my new threat towards people, I think. You know how many houses I could buy in the 50s? A lot. Yeah. I could buy and sell all your houses in the 50s. I just walk out of the room. They go, that's such a weird threat, but, you know, he's right. So how many movies like by Fritz Lang have you seen? M, Scarlet Street, The Big Heat. Yeah, I think that's about it. I've seen it. I've seen a couple more. I've seen uh, Human Desire, You Only Live Once, Metropolis, Obs. Oh, I saw Metropolis. That's right. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen Metropolis. Well, um, I better have. I have a giant painting hanging in my living room. Of it. <laughs> be a Is that a good movie, Ben? No, I've never seen that movie. Fuck that movie. <laughs> that's called art, baby. Metropolis? I've never heard of it. Metropolis? I don't know. By the way, I see why you picked both of these movies. Um, Charles Lang, obviously, and uh, both directors being uh, German expats and uh, and moving to, to, to America. Um, it's well done. That's exactly right. I did decide to pick two movies about German expats who came to America and made movies about kind of the way our both our media and our criminal justice system work. That's exactly yeah. why I picked it. I had all that force. And the and the cinematographer, too. As you know, yeah, I'm yeah. a big fan of... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Charles Lang. Charles Lang. I, I call him Chuck Lang, personally. But we're, you know, we go back a ways. Yeah, but uh, he, you know, Academy Award winner for, for best, uh, best yeah. cinematography. Yeah. 1933. You try to do Inception by taking us a couple levels deeper. You do it on purpose. I do it on accident. So I think you could argue I'm like Neo from the Matrix and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> Cypher? Yeah, it sounds like you're Cypher. But the big heat, man. I gotta tell you, Glenn Ford punched a guy across a room in this movie. Yeah. It's so funny when he does it. Because the guy looks up at him and goes, that punch! 
Hey, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Glenn Ford beats the information out of that guy and then tells him, you're throwing this down, you squeal. <laughs> oh, fuck, this movie was so good. It's, it's really good. They kill a mother in this movie. It's so great. The, the 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 scene in The Irishman where she gets in the car and she thinks the car bomb's going to Oh, very I knew it was coming. Happens in real life. I'm going to go movie. pick up the babysitter. I'm like, you are so dead, you stupid broad. Oh, and then she died. Also, I love that when he the car blows up, he says to the daughter, stay here, honey. It's like, what was she going to come out? <laughs> what the She's running out with buckets of water over her head. She's got a little fireman outfit on. That little girl's so cute, too. Oh, the way this movie fucking plays with your expectations is so great. Because, like, the whole movie is essential. Okay, so let's talk about how it starts off. Because the opening is actually very important. It's excellent. You see a gun. uh, Opening credits, you see a gun lit up. And then... The guy picks the gun up and fucking shoots himself. And you're just like, whoa, all right, uh, off to the races. <laughs> yeah, and his wife comes downstairs and then she calls up a guy and says, hey, tell him the widow of uh, this police guy is calling. She goes, yeah, tell him that way. And this guy finds out and turns out there's, I guess, kind of a letter that can implicate this guy, like all the proof that needs to be given. And it's like, look, you're going to pay out my wife if you don't. Yeah, and, you know... It, it's the movie kind of slowly doles out the information, but what's interesting, I think, is that the mystery is ends up becoming a back burner. <laughs> like the movie sets up the mystery, which is that someone probably wanted that police officer dead, like very obviously. And then the movie's just kind of like, yeah, it's probably that guy. And then the movie's just kind of like, yeah, you don't really need the mystery anymore, do you? <laughs> <laughs> the movie at the end is like, actually, we solved the mystery. It's this person. It's, don't. It's not really about that anymore. It's kind of, we kind of went in a different direction. And now another quick mystery. I just want to know who could have done something like this. It's a travesty. I did. You see this knife and all the blood on it? Here's my fingerprints. Guilty. I send it you to life in prison. I have only one question about this movie, and it's going to help me. It's going to help me better understand it. What is the relationship of Lee Marvin to the guy who she calls to blackmail? I am not entirely sure because I think Lee Marvin is supposed to be like the second in command of the big guy. Is it Lagania? Yeah, Lagania. Lagania is the mob boss, right? So is Marvin like kind of his, is he his muscle? I think he's the, he's like, he would be like the lieutenant if that guy's the captain. Okay. So he would be like the second in command. And I think he's a, not the go, but I think he might be the go between between the big guy and Lagania. The, the wife. Oh, Bertha. Okay, right. Because that's the wife who of the guy who committed suicide. Yeah, exactly. What's so what I think she's is so an, interesting about she's this another movie. one with angular face. By the way, you're immediately distrustful because of the way I she like does her it. hair. Yeah. Um, What's your problem, school marm? Oh, you're not a school marm? Then what's your fucking deal? What's your deal, lady? 
I think what's so interesting about this movie is that the, the, the meta plot, like the mystery, is like so convoluted. Your brain's just like, I don't need to worry about this. And the movie's like, you don't really need to worry about this. No. Those are the bad guys. This is a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> kind this of is, and once again, once again, if I was pairing these two, this is where it goes with the big combo. That's Brown. That's Diamond. That's Lagania. That's Bannon. All you need to know is which side of the line they're on and who's going to stop who. Also, Lee Marvin's over there, too. And Lee Marvin's crazy girlfriend, who, by the way, you want to talk about a person who showed up and said, I'm going to take every scene of this movie that they give me and I'm going to make you remember why I'm in this movie. And then they elevate her to a vastly more important position. She becomes the third lead. She does. It's crazy. By the end of the 50s, she was in like Oklahoma. She fucking should be. She's incredible in this. She's great. When she's doing the thing where like she because like because her whole gimmick is and to be fair and not saying that she deserved this kind of gets her into the trouble she gets into. Her whole gimmick is kind of just being a little more lippy, but it's still adorable because she's doing it. Gloria Graham. I think she's a fantastic actress. <laughs> it's fucking wacko. Oh, is um, she? Uh, yeah, like a real life. So her career would come to an end in the late 50s early 60s because of some things that she did but at this time it's straight heat she's in in a lonely place which is my maybe my favorite noir film of all time and it might be the best noir movie ever made she plays in a lonely place in a lonely place humphrey bogart one right yes beautiful movie didn't this come with the collection no oh it didn't huh or else i would have picked it oh fair enough yeah, In a Lonely Place is fantastic. And Gloria Graham's in that. She's also in this. She plays uh, essentially the, the second lead of the movie because the movie's kind of nuts as to who it credits. She's big time in it. She plays Debbie Marsh. She doesn't show up until like 40 minutes into the movie. <laughs> like, she shows up pretty late considering she's like the second person build behind Glenn Ford. She plays Lee Marvin's girlfriend and boy is she just laying it on thick with her like i live in the city accent it's great it's okay mr lagania i like to see him pop up she is like proto harley quinn in, it's in really weird, what it is right in a like, weird way yeah, yeah i feel like I harley said, quinn might be based off of gloria graham and, and a small man, small that, there is a question for paul dini just to be like hey paul gloria graham he's like hey someone's getting it the premise of this movie is is that Sergeant Bannon is investigating the suicide of this other cop, and everyone else is telling him, like, from, like, the chief on down, let it go. And he's like, he goes, Lagania paid, Lagania gets to walk, and he's like, fuck that noise, I'm I'm Dan O'Bannon. Like, his ass is mine. And they're like, Dave, mm, Dave. Dave O'Bannon. I'm Dave O'Bannon, and his ass is mine. And they're like, Time mm. out. Flag on the field. Dan yeah. O'Bannon is, the, is a writer and director. Dave oh yeah, the Bannon. alien guy. <laughs> yeah, you said Dave, Dave O'Bannon. Bannon. Not O'Bannon. Oh, Bannon. Dave Bannon. Yeah, Dave Bannon. Yeah, Dave Bannon is like, you know, his ass is mine. Like, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take him down. And they're all like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if you're gonna do that. Ooh, he swimming with the fishes. Boy, he throws everything at that son bitch too, doesn't he? You know what I kind of love about this movie? And you want to talk about Ace in the Hole being made today? This movie would have taken him to where, like, he would have... And they kind of do this, but in, like, a 50s way. He brings his kid to someone else, and he goes, no, I gotta go sort this shit out. Because, like, (laughs) halfway through the movie, they fucking kill his wife. And you're just like, holy shit, really? 
I think if the movie was made today, they probably would have taken like his badge and his gun or something cliche oh, like that. Oh no, but... they they did take his badge, but he said, "No, no, you don't get the gun. This is mine, bought and paid for." Oh, if they do, yeah, they did take his badge. It's it is a it's a kind of a loose cannon cop, but if a loose cannon cop was right, that's actually the perfect way to put it. it is like if a yeah. loose cannon cop was right. Yeah, but like like I think every loose cannon cop movie I've ever watched, I'm just like I don't think that I don't think he's I don't think he's right. <laughs> but he never really goes outside the law. Like he doesn't, but he's still like he's 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 a straight arrow who is outside of the So the movie is pretty cynical in the way it depicts the police force, which is essentially <laughs> insanely corrupt. No, no, they are insanely corrupt. Even in the 50s was very right. This movie I think is also just I just it's very good and very cynical and very dark in a way that I don't think a movie nowadays would be able to depict the police the law enforcement. Yeah, I just think I think this movie for 1953 I guess in a lonely place in 1950, so that movie's also very dark, very very bleak. But this movie is is pretty cynical when it comes oh. to Oh, it's like it's like, like you watch him work this case, and it's like it just keeps breaking him down. And also, I think maybe the movie is make, is maybe putting us in the shoes of Dave Bannon, and maybe we're supposed to be as cynical as he is by the end of the movie, because that last line is callous. Like, it's a fun joke, and you kind of like laugh, you're like, oh, that's pretty clever. But man, is it mean. Like, man, oh man, is that a, is that a very cynical joke at the very end of the movie. Remind me. The last line is coffee, Hugo. And it's like, keep the coffee hot. Oh. Which is just like a pitch black line. At the end I didn't even think about that. Um, like super bleak. And like, I think the movie is like kind of meant to be like, oh yeah, Dave's kind of a cynical prick. <laughs> or was he made cynical by this case? Maybe he was made cynical by this case. But, like, he never shows any, I mean, only one time where he gets her, like, he puts her her room under, a, like, a pseudonym. But he never really shows any concern for anyone outside his, himself. He doesn't show concern to Lacey Chapman. He's, sort, he's sorting it out. Like, he, he doesn't show concern for Debbie, who also gets murdered. He doesn't show concern for his family when he's attacking the gang and his wife gets murdered. Like, he... Is a guy who's either kind of dumb and like too naive, or just doesn't really care about anybody else. I kind of think it's the second one. I just I think I think the movie breaking it, watching it the second time, I'm just like, oh, Dave's just kind of a glory hog and just kind of wants to get like on yeah because he thinks yeah. you know like all of them on the on the upper side on the other side of the law, they're wrong. They're they're bad people, and I'm right. And I think what the movie is trying to say is like, maybe that's not a great way to go about life. No, no, it's not. No, we're not even going to do favorite scene because we're going to talk about the scene. Um, <laughs> Lagana has a muscle and his name is Lee Marvin. And we've spoken about Lee Marvin before. He is he is like six, seven, maybe. I mean, he is the it, Yao Ming of white men in the 50s. I'll say that. Former military. So I don't think he can be that tall, but he's he's definitely like six foot. He's ruggedly handsome, but we've talked about this before. He has a he just has like weird features for the fifties. So he's definitely was typecast as like a villain type or yeah. military type. 
Yeah. And it wouldn't be until later on in the mid to late 50s when he started, like, playing, you know, Seven Men from Night. He did a lot of Bud Bedecker films. Bud Bedecker cast him as, like, the heroic lead a couple of times. And then he breaks out in, like, John Wayne films, like The Comanches, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and then eventually The Killers... And then eventually Cat Baloo, which is where he wins his Academy Award. And everybody's like, oh, we love Lee Marvin. But he kind of played both sides for a little bit. But mostly, excuse me, mostly in the 50s, he is like this role where he is the baddest motherfucker. <laughs> well, and here's the weird thing. I have seen him in multiple movies. I have seen him in a lot of different things. And even in a lot of other movies where he's playing a bad guy, it's weird where you can kind of get on his side to a certain extent. However, in this movie, and I don't know if he's ever done this in another movie, you hate him from the start because you're like, oh, he's a monster. Like, oh, he's, and it, yeah, it, he's a monster. And it takes a little time to rev up to it, but the minute he grabs her by the arm, you're like, oh, bad guy. There's just something about his look in this where you're just like, that guy's a murderer. <laughs> like... like that guy, I don't want to be in a room with that guy. He's the second best performance behind, behind Ford. Like, Glenn Ford is the best performance in this movie, but he's, like, right behind it. And, I mean, sneakily, I think you could say the girl might even be the best performance. Uh, Glory Graham is, gives a great performance. Do you want to know the other movie that Lee Marvin was in the same year as this? Sure. But he has a small part as Chino in The Wild One. Oh, that's right. He is in The Wild One. That's the Marlon Brando movie. Yeah. Where, Ma- yeah. where Marlon Brando dresses as uh, Michael Sarah from Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, where Marlon Brando inspires uh, a leather fetish in a lot of people. Do you have anything that says Leather Daddy? <laughs> that is the movie that spawns Leather Daddies, I think. Oh, that's fair. It is that hat, isn't it? It's it's He wears all leather everything in that movie. It's very true. He actually um, became a cow for two months just to get into the part. <laughs> That's how into it Marlon Brando was. One day, we'll, I, one day I'll have to watch the wild one. Yeah, I've heard both, of, both of us will. I've heard the same thing. At one point, Bannon slaps around Lee Marvin's character. The other thing, too, is he's a slime ball. That's the other part of it, too, is he is a big dude, but he's a slime ball when like someone who's equal, like of equal size can get up on him. So he kind of reminds me of... I'm not gonna say Owen Hart, but like the type of heel that like a, like a British bulldog, where it's like a big dude, who who is like really muscular, really strong, can out muscle his opponents. I'm yeah. sorry to, for using the wrestling analogy. Screw them if they're not into wrestling at this point. But I don't know he's, what to do for him. He's not a heel because he's like a monstrous form of humanity like he's yeah. like tall or like the undertaker or whatever like he's a heel because he not only is very strong and very fast and is a great wrestler he also is just a shit bag and will like cheat to win and you're well, just like you have everything doesn't need to yeah exactly it's more infuriating when like i like that cheats because it's just like i just saw you press slam a 500 pound guy and you're cheating you just threw king kong bundy over the top rope why the fuck are you cheating <laughs> like like you don't need to cheat to win you could win it straight but you cheat because like it's fun or whatever <laughs> like, yeah there is a jo- there is almost a joy in it so he leaves this bar when bannon slaps him around he comes back 
His girl doesn't go with him. Bannon talks to the girl. The girl gets followed. He kind of tries to get that out of the girl, although he already knows for some reason. So what good it'll do, I don't know. And then he grabs coffee and just whips it in her face. You don't expect it the first time you see it. And you're just oh, like, wow. Because I'm like, because I'm sitting there. I'm like, what has he got a lab in there? What is I'm like, oh, that's coffee. What does Bunsen Honeydew rent in the other room from you? Oh, it's coffee. Because <laughs> you don't see what he throws on her. You just see her get hit by something. And you hear a blood-curdling scream. And she's oh. screaming. And that's him holding a pot of coffee. I'll say this <laughs> too. Like, hey, Nolan, sometimes take a lesson. Less is more. This is what your Two-Face makeup should have looked like. <laughs> she just has bandages on the side of her face. This... No, no. Like when they take them oh, off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks good too. Like I'm like, it's that good. held up. It's good for the 50s. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a movie it's... that wasn't made on, on much budget because they're just like, we can get we can get Fritz Lang to make it for. And yeah, it looks good. Yeah. It's it's a well-directed movie and it's it's incredibly well told. And it all comes down to he's just kind of still working the case, even though he's been kicked off the force. And I will say, you know what one of my favorite moments in this movie is? Is when he he goes to like check on his daughter and like I think is it his brother in law? Who is Al, by the way? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I'd say it's like either his brother in law or like maybe God parent. You're not entirely sure. But he comes to like check where he's like keeping his daughter safe, and some guy just puts a gun in his back, and you're like, oh fuck! Like I guess he's got to get out of this one too. Marches him up the stairs. He gets to wrestling with the guy. Guy comes out, and fucking Al has called all of his friends who are just gonna fucking kill people if they try to touch this little girl, and you're just like, fucking yes! Where's this movie? Where's Bannon's Rogues? I want this fucking movie. I was mad that this movie did not have a sequel. Fucking the worst Home Alone sequel. <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> just oh, fucking, oh just, just the guys try to come in and they're like, you just fucking rocked into the wrong house, S.A. There's just 20 guns who are from World War II. <laughs> greatest generation in their prime. It's 20 guys with fucking bats and two by fours. Oh, yeah, it's so fucking true. And it's great. They're all like, yeah, this is like this guy. Like they're all razzing each other. And you're just like, these guys are going to fucking kill people if they try to take that little girl. She's the cutest little girl, too. Very cute little girl. Also, we never even talked about her. The thing that drives him, the wife, is some great stuff there. Yeah, I think the movie takes some pains of showing like a loving, caring relationship. Because if it didn't, it, that moment where she gets blown up in a car would not hit home. And, I mean, we can talk about like when a movie nowadays kills a wife for the main character's motivation. I think it's kind of hacky to do now. But the way that this movie does it, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Where it's just like, yeah, she gets she's in a car bomb, and, <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I, it's all right. Wasn't expecting a car bomb in this movie, but I guess I, I guess now that it, that it's there, I, I, I can't look away. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Uncle, so brother-in-law. That's why I was reading the Wikipedia. Sorry. No, you're good. Oh, Joyce is okay. So That's Joyce Al. is uncle. Yeah, Al is, is Joyce. Joyce's uncle. So that would be brother-in-law? Or it would either be brother-in-law or Banyan's brother. Yeah, exactly. One so he goes... I'll, I'll tell you this, too. So he burns her with coffee. Bannon takes care of her. Kind of after the wife dies, she kind of becomes the one thing he can protect still that's related to it. By the way, in the 2020 version, they'd kill the daughter, too. And yeah, and there'd be a terrible movie. 
Yeah, the daughter does need to live, doesn't she? Yeah. I mean, I think in the 2020 version, I just, I wouldn't, I would not, I'd make Bannon like a drunk. <laughs> like, like a, I would make Bannon like Tatum, like a guy trying to get his reputation back. And like fueled by the motivation to bring this gang down because he wants to get his reputation back. Not because of like a personal vendetta. That's fair. Because it's so, the only way to make that character sympathetic in the modern yeah. age. Yeah. So people start getting clipped. Lee Marvin goes back to his place. And I'll tell you this, they did another real river of grass moment here where he walks in the door and then bam, coffee to the face. And you're like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Who would have guessed that Debbie was waiting for his ass? And before that, Debbie lot, goes and bitch. shoots that other woman too. And you're just like, God <laughs> damn. And pretty like, much tells her on no uncertain terms. Yeah, we're both whores. Yeah. It basically, it was just like, oh, should change the lock? Whoopsies. Yeah. I still had a key. She has the great line, too. She says um, she says to him, she goes, I killed Mrs. Dietrich. No more immunity for you. I did that. And you're just like, oh, she is fucking pissed. This is why you do not leave crazy alive. Because if crazy lives, <laughs> crazy comes back after you. Crazy, you saw her popping yeah. all around that apartment. Yeah, crazy throws a, a hot water in your face. So um, Lee Marvin fucking shoots her. Bannon shows up and fucking shoots him and, like, gets him. And then she kind of dies, and the movie ends with... She kind of dies. Okay, she dies. She doesn't kind of die. She dies, and Bannon goes back to work, and the movie ends with him getting another call to go out on another case. I think there's a very sweet moment when she's dying. He gives a really callous depiction of his wife to her to kind of keep her at arm's length. While she's dying, he, like tells her like a very endearing story about his wife and how much that he actually loved her. And it's a very sweet little moment and it's kind of nice. And the movie ends with the commissioner Laganya being indicted. And you kind of find out that I guess it's implied that the widow was blackmailing Laganya because the husband who killed himself had information on Laganya and the commissioner, I suppose, I guess that's the plot of the movie. I don't, the movie really doesn't. It doesn't matter. The point is Bannon has Uh, to stop Lagania and Lee Marvin's character. And you're going to get there one way or the other. Yeah. And Sergeant LeBanion gets his job at homicide and he tells Hugo to keep the coffee hot, which is so insanely cynical for a movie to end like that. Like, like, wow. Whoever wrote that really pat themselves on the back. You really think that's supposed to be cynical? I don't know if it's cynical. It's just a real, because it's, it's, aren't they still like in the apartment when he says it? No, they're at the police station. Oh, they're at the police station? Okay. That's slightly less cynical, but like. Yeah, because I think it's, like, I think it's the idea that he's like, keep the coffee hot because I'm always going to be out there. He is the job. But it's that's also, the thing. I think like, that's also a kind of a dark joke by the movie. It's a dark joke to be sure. Two people got burned by coffee in the movie. That is true. That is true. I think it's not as cynical as you think, but it is definitely still cynical. It's it's a it's a joke where I'm just like that's real dark movie. <laughs> Easy <laughs> Fritz Lang, Jesus. <laughs> Fritz Lang was like, I will not be changing the ending of my movie like that Pussy Wilder with the apartment. And they're like, What are you talking about? He's like, You'll see. Have you seen M? They go, We've all seen M, Fritz. Well, I don't imagine you're gonna pair this with M, but if you could pair this with something, what would you pair it with? What if I did a curveball and be like Kansas City Confidential? I don't know what that is, so it's not really a curveball to me. It's a, it's a freaking movie. It's a big combo. I don't. I don't yeah. Right. Want, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of perfect. <laughs> It's like they just remade the movie, basically, but cheaper and uh, <laughs> shitty effects. <laughs> but it's still good. It's just as H. Lewis. Uh, what if, Lang, what if the big heat, but, you know, not as expensive? And they're like, what? And he goes, you'll see. We're allied artists or whatever the fuck we're called. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what do you give it? 
one of the best numbers ever made. I don't know. Five stars? I don't know. All right. I, I'm giving it four and a half once again, but with the potential to grow. Yeah. I think what I've learned is that I have a big affinity for noir films. You, uh, well, I think we, we do. This I think you year. like noir films. I, I'm um, getting more and more into them. Like I, I kind of like these more than I like the other ones. I like it when it's like, yeah, there's a cop and he's going to bring a guy to justice uh, 90 minutes from now. I mean, you seem to really like Ace in the Hole. Ace, Ace in the Hole is very good. Ace, well, Ace in the Hole isn't just a noir. Ace in the Hole might be one of the best movies like ever made in some ways. Like it's on that level of filmmaking where you're like, oh, this is just a great movie. For noirs like this, it's like, I want to see a cop versus a gangster. <laughs> okay. Don't cheat okay. me of anything else. Yeah. Although I'll say this out of the past sounds intriguing. I hope you pick that next year. I might might be able to pair that with something. And then, of course, since it's the end of November, we've got to move on. And I think it's my turn to pick. And, you know, we've really let go of some of the values in this country, especially since this election took place. And hopefully we can let go of some other values, too. But the one value we can't let go of is video store movies. We've got to go back to our roots. We've got to make the video store not great again, but... You know what? I'm going to work on a catchphrase for it next week. I'll have it for you next week. But until then, I need two movies that really emulate what the video store used to be about. Basically, I pitched this to Ben, the idea of like doing a canon classics, but I don't have to pick canon movies. I can kind of go and pick other video shelf. I'm too good to pick one of garbage. the other 17 Death Wish movies. We'll do another canon classics when we, when we get down. But what I, what I want to do is I want to pick two movies... That were like basically direct video that are cult classics, and that's the idea of this. And so the two movies that I pick are one is from Andy Sedaris. I I don't know if you know who Andy Sedaris is. He made I think twelve movies of I would say interesting quality. He's most known for Hard Ticket to Hawaii. I think is the name of the movie. I picked a little movie called Malibu Express, which I have been told. A, just in, a, a, is like the epitome of 80s action American filmmaking. And I paired that with a down and dungy, grungy, straight to video classic, an indie cult sensation called Deadbeat by Dawn, shot in far away from as far away from Miami as I could get, uh, theme wise, in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. <laughs> so I'm giving you I'm giving you the, 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 the sugar and I'm giving you the spice. Fair enough. Well, next week, Malibu Express and Deadbeat at Dawn. Two movies I have no knowledge of in any capacity, so we'll see what those are all about coming up. And until such time, guys, you can catch us at TWGTF Pod on Twitter. You can catch me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic. Watch Shallow Grave this week. Solid movie. Solid, solid movie. It's a solid B plus from a director who's starting his career. I think it's a B plus, really. Solid I B. Be, I thought you'd be really <laughs> way into that movie. No, I thought B plus, A minus. It's good. What's his What's his What's his strongest movie? Danny Boyle. Yeah. Train spotting, probably. Oh yeah, I guess it is train spotting, isn't it? Yeah. Or Although, boy, Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah, really Sunshine good. makes a lot of cause, right? Yeah. He'd be an interesting one to do, which would mean we'd have to watch Yesterday. <sighs> Fuck. <laughs> and for TWGTF, two white guys talking film, I've of course been your host, Ben. And I'm Lieutenant Diamond. 
And remember, guys, if you come into our video store and you see Tyler wrestling around with another guy who has a gun, well, that guy's probably on my side. So best not to step in because, you know, he's he's a hard boiled guy. I got an ace in the hole. Just two white guys talking film.